gone out hunting, had drunk too much, and lost his way. To the suggestion that he should enter the monastery and save his soul, he replied with a smile, I am not a fit companion for you. When he had eaten and drunk, he looked at the monks who were serving him, shook his head reproachfully, and said, You don't do anything, you monks. You are good for nothing but eating and drinking. Is that the way to save one's soul? Only think, while you sit here in peace, eat and drink and dream of beatitude, your neighbors are perishing and going to hell. You should see what is going on in the town. Some are dying of hunger. Others, not knowing what to do with their gold, sink to profligacy and perish like flies stuck in honey. There is no faith, no truth in men. Whose task is it to save them? Whose work is it to preach to them? It is not for me, drunk from morning till night as I am. Can a meek spirit, a loving heart, and faith in God have been given you for you to sit here within four walls, doing nothing? The townsman's drunken words were insolent and unseemly, but they had a strange effect upon the Father Superior. The old man exchanged glances with his monks, turned pale, and said, My brothers, he speaks the truth, you know. Indeed, poor people in their weakness and lack of understanding are perishing in vice and infidelity, while we do not move, as though it did not concern us. Why should I not go and remind them of the Christ whom they have forgotten? The townsman's words had carried the old man away. The next day he took his staff, said farewell to the brotherhood, and set off for the town. And the monks were left without music, and without his speeches and verses. They spent a month drearily, then a second, but the old man did not come back. At last, after three months had passed, the familiar tap of his staff was heard. The monks flew to meet him and showered questions upon him, but instead of being delighted to see them, he wept bitterly and did not utter a word. The monks noticed that he looked greatly aged and had grown thinner, his face looked exhausted and wore an expression of profound sadness. And when he wept, he had the air of a man who has been outraged. The monks fell to weeping too, and began with sympathy asking him why he was weeping, why his face was so gloomy. But he locked himself in his cell without uttering a word. For seven days he sat in his cell, eating and drinking nothing, weeping and not playing on his organ to knocking at his door and to the entreaties of the monks to come out and share his grief with them, he replied with unbroken silence. At last he came out, gathering all the monks around him with a tear-stained face and with an expression of grief and indignation. He began telling them of what had befallen him during those three months. His voice was calm and his eyes were smiling while he described his journey from the monastery to the town. On the road, he told them, the birds sang to him, the brooks gurgled, and sweet youthful hopes agitated his soul. He marched on and felt like a soldier going to battle and confident of victory. He walked on dreaming and composed poems and hymns and reached the end of his journey without noticing it. But his voice quivered, his eyes flashed, and he was full of wrath when he came to speak of the town and of the men in it. Never in his life had he seen or even dared to imagine what he met with when he went into the town. Only then, for the first time in his life, in his old age, he saw and understood how powerful was the devil, 
how fair was evil, and how weak and faint-hearted and worthless were men. By an unhappy chance, the first dwelling he entered was the abode of vice. Some fifty men in possession of much money were eating and drinking wine beyond measure. Intoxicated by the wine, they sang songs and boldly uttered terrible, revolting words such as a God-fearing man could not bring himself to pronounce. Boundlessly free, self-confident, and happy, they feared neither God nor the devil, nor death, but said and did what they liked, and went whither their lust led them. And the wine, clear as amber, flecked with sparks of gold, must have been irresistibly sweet and fragrant, for each man who drank it smiled blissfully and wanted to drink more. To the smile of man it responded with a smile and sparkled joyfully when they drank it, as though it knew the devilish charm it kept hidden in.